In a world of questions, two nerds with microphones make up the answers and discuss the intersection of faith in everyday life. This is Kelly. And this is Adam. And today's episode, isn't Kelly on the Lakers? <laughs> Pretty sure. I mean, they've signed everybody else. <laughs> Not me, though. I want to be on the Lakers. Oh, look who thinks he has talent. <laughs> oh, ouch. ouch. That was mean. Feisty today, Who dude? said that? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so the Lakers have kind of uh, gobbled up all of these free agents on the market. Um, to be fair, though, I want all of the same energy from all of these analysts and all these people about how old they are. Um, because it's... Uh, <laughs> because everybody's been talking about, oh, they're so old, they're not going to make it. I was like, all right, keep that same energy, though. Well... I don't know that it's that I believe they're so old. It's that I believe they've, they've just stumbled upon a new strategy, which is you can't play opponents if you have signed them to your team. Yeah, but, like, I mean, let's be real. None of All those people were passed up by other, other teams. None of the other teams tried to sign these guys. People weren't lining up in free agency to sign Carmelo Anthony. No, but, like, you know, everybody wanted Malik Monk. Who? Didn't he have a show on USA Network several years ago? <laughs> I'm fairly certain he solved I've only crimes. Watched, I've, I've only watched Molly, Molly, Molly. I've only watched a couple episodes of that show, but it was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that's that's a that's a pretty fascinating thing. Like I, uh, it, it's pretty cool though. I was like, oh my gosh, they signed all these people. Uh, Palink is a shark, man. Like they have twenty people on their roster. Yeah, how many can they take into the season? It's 15, right? I think it's 15. But, like, you only play, like, 7 to 9. Maximum. Not with that roster. They're going to play everybody. Yeah. They're going to play everybody. That's what everyone says until the playoffs <laughs> starts. <laughs> so, for those of you who tuned in last week, uh, <laughs> I love LeBron. <laughs> Creepily so. And I, wherever LeBron goes, I go. Um no, that's that's funny. It's funny, funny, funny. All right. Yeah, didn't you used to be a New Jersey Nets fan back when they were in Jersey? Yeah, before we uh we signed uh, you know, Boston enemies, aka Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. That yeah. was that was the beginning of the decline. Um and then we went from that to they shipped them to Brooklyn. And then they picked up all the players I don't like. They have, like, literally everyone you don't like. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just feel like, I mean, and again, I say this as the fat guy on a podcast. Like, <laughs> I can't outplay James Harden. Uh, I just think James Harden's numbers are incredibly inflated. Uh, that dude is not dropping 30 a night from the floor. He, he, has 10, he has 12 points a night that come from the free throw line, 12 to 15 a night. So he's not... But Kelly, he's playing the rules. I'm like, yeah, we'll see how this year goes for him because they've changed all the rules. Uh, looking at you and, and the lollipop with all the weird hair on it, uh, uh, Trey Young. <laughs> wow, the lollipop with all the hair. Okay, on. you cannot look me straight in the face and tell me that Trey Young doesn't look like a golem with more hair. Honestly, whenever I, whenever I look at him, I think of the Lorax from Dr. Seuss. What? Why? 
Because the trees in the Lorax were these pink puffballs on top, and they were sticks all the way down. Yo, the NBA Twitter was ruthless to his cut, man. I felt so bad. I was like, don't make fun of that man. He's only got, he's only got so much hair. He's <laughs> only got so many more years with him. As, as, as right. a man who has realized that so often men are renting, not buying when it comes to hair. You know? That's fair. That's fair. Nah, so yeah, I used to be a Nets fan, um, and then they moved to Brooklyn, and uh, it was really hard to root for them, too, because like, after they were on top with Kid, it was just it was so bad. Um, they were real frustrating to watch. Uh, and then I really, I really hitched on the bronze bandwagon when he was in high school. And, and you heard it here first, everybody. When I watched, the first time I watched LeBron play at St. Vincent St. Mary... Online, on, on yeah, TV, not, on TV. not yeah. in person. I actually didn't think he was that good. I thought he was going to come to the NBA and get smoked. Because uh, I was like, okay, he's erratic. He's big, sure, but like he's going to play against people who are bigger than him and better than him and more talented and are adults, and he's a child. And I just didn't like his shot selection. I didn't like how he played. I mean, he passed really well, but it was kind of like the leap from high school. I'm yeah. Like this is the thing to remember too. That's so crazy. And this isn't just for Braun. This is also for guys like Kobe and all these other people. That gap, when you're an 18 year old kid playing in high school, and at St. Vincent St. Mary, which was a good school, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like super high end like some of these kids are playing now. Like look, Bronny James is playing in California against some of the the top talent in the country, night in night out, like practicing right, like. Um, it's no Bishop Sycamore. <laughs> but going as an 18-year-old kid to playing against grown men is like a big leap. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a huge... Um, and, for, and then in like his first game, he dropped like 23, 24. He was the best player on the court. They played the Kings. Yeah. And I was like, I... I remember watching Duke and Ball. Yeah. <laughs> Duke and Ball. Um, so we'll see. And then, you know... Same as shot selection was very erratic. He played way too fast, but he was a kid. So, um, but anyway, anyway, moving on. Yeah. So we have narratives when it comes to sports and our heroes about doing things, quote, the right way. I mean, everybody knows the Milwaukee Bucks who were true underdogs. I'm being a little bit sarcastic because in a world of professionally play, paid people, very rarely do you get real underdogs in championships. Um, very rarely do you get teams that are like, oh, they, nobody picked them to make the playoffs, and yet they're f playing in the championship game. That doesn't happen often. And so the idea of doing it, quote, the right way, I think whenever you're in a league where you are recruiting others to your team and saying, I'm going to give you money to join my team, um, you you cannot say that there is a you know an underdog kind of mentality, and the Bucks are are one that people consider to be underdogs. Well, I mean that's that's a clear statement, right? You said that you know people are saying like they did it the right way. Well, that's subjective. What do you mean? Like you're going to tell me that the Milwaukee Bucks don't have a top five payroll in the NBA? They're not an underdog. They have money. They they. They have a once-in-a-generation talent, and they got arguably one of the best on-ball defenders, if not the best on-ball defender 
who can also hit three-point shots. And then they have, uh, you know, uh, what's-his-face? The other guy, Middleton. The Middleton's elite. Middleton's like a sick... He, like, he's, he's a fantastic basketball player. And then they have this full squad of, like, fantastic pieces. They have, have Lopez, Lopez, and they have P.J. Tucker, and... Um, Matt Connington. Dude, he's so good. He's so good. But, but again, like, no. it, again, it's the narratives of... He's really good at his role. Okay, that I'll give you. Right, like, and this is the thing. We do this where we, we go, oh, like, he, he stayed in Milwaukee and he, and he built it. Dude, that's, they had, they had three all-stars on the team. Like, like, I mean, like, all-star, all-stars. So it's not, it's not like, and, and again, that's not to slam what they accomplished. Like, we could talk about how, like, just like the Warriors did where they, they beat, who did they beat their first title? They, they. They meandered through an injury-riddled West where, you know, Duncan was on the decline. I think Duncan got hurt. Kawhi got assassinated by Zaza. Like, I mean... Well, that wasn't their first chance. That was year two. That was... Um, but, like, you know, the, the, the Phoenix Suns, they had to beat the Phoenix Suns, who nobody would have had doing anything, right? Because the Fair. Lakers lost AD. Like, so it's all these things, but, like, that's basketball. Like it's not it's not the Bucks' fault that like Kyrie Irving was hurt and James Harden was hurt, and that Kevin Durant decided to step on the three point line instead of and, and make a shot instead of stepping behind the three point line and making a shot. Right? We wouldn't even be having this conversation. Chris Paul would have like finally added to his legacy and had a title if Kevin Durant had hit that shot. Right? We wouldn't even be talking about the Bucks. We would be talking about the Bucks that it's not working and they need to blow it up. Right? Three centimeters is the conversation we're having. So it's, but, but the right way. What is the right way? Armchair analyst. <laughs> <laughs> well, LeBron just buys people. Yes. LeBron James is the GM. I mean, he's, he bought 20 guys, dude. <laughs> he didn't buy nobody. He doesn't make those 20 decisions. 20 guys. <laughs> he doesn't make those decisions. Uh-huh. Now they might ask him for insight and clear things with their superstars which is a pattern of behavior throughout the nba you think you think that they brought in middleton and drew holiday without talking to Giannis? well they already had middleton they had middleton they had middleton before Giannis or after Giannis? i thought they had middleton before Giannis. let me check i don't know either way but drew holiday was absolutely they talked to Giannis about that right not not to be like hey can we do this Right, but anyway, um, but but that's the thing. Like, and again, like I said, that's not to take anything away from the Bucks. It's just, what do you mean the right way? And what do you mean underdogs? The Bucks weren't underdogs. Anybody with two eyes that can read can look at those matchups and be like, the Bucks should have beat them in four, not gone down o two. Like DeAndre Ayton's clamping down Giannis. Get out of here. Like, what? That's because uh, Budenholzer's coaching malpractice. Guy saved his job. Yeah, um, kind of did. <laughs> but, but, but you know who would be an underdog? The Pacers. Pacers are an underdog in an inter-squad scrimmage, to be honest. <laughs> the, the, Pacers, a- the Pacers starting team is an underdog to their backup squad. <laughs> <laughs> Adam's a... Adam's a 
Pacers I, fan. Poor I'm guy. a lifelong Pacers fan. And poor guy. This isn't. This, I mean, what I say about my team is we're always good enough to just not be good enough. Mm. You like everybody on the team. I'm like, yeah, that, he's a solid player. Miles, yeah, he's a solid player. Dominus Sabonis, he's a solid player. Malcolm Brogdon, he was a he he was better than Middleton when he was in Milwaukee. He's a solid guy. Yeah, but no, that unless you have a a mega superstar, it's not enough. And I think that's one of the questions that people have with the Lakers this year. Um, I was supposed to start at point one, friends, and I started at point two. So. Hey, I didn't say that. I don't need to know. No, 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 no. We're fine. <laughs> We're fine. Everything's fine here. So the problem, the problem with the problem with names. The problem with names. Right. Talk to me, Adam. So, here are the here are the names on Los Angeles's roster of players that people are like, oh, I've heard of that guy, Carmelo Anthony, Trevor Ariza, Anthony Davis. Dwight Howard, LeBron James, DeAndre Jordan, the immortal Malik Monk. I made that one. He's a real player, but nobody knows him. Rajon, Rajon Rondo, Russell Westbrook. Like, these are like, that's Keep like going. seven names. Keep going. That's seven. <laughs> Got none? Nobody knows Kendrick Nunn. THT? Nobody. THT. THT. That's, that's a made up word. <laughs> That's a made-up person. The guy trips me out, man, because his upper body's exist. so disproportionate to his legs. Like, I don't ever understand. I'm like, how's... What? This guy's putting people on skates. What's going on? <laughs> so, you have... Baysmore. Kent Baysmore. Yeah, but, like, okay, so the other ones are all, like, all-star level players. They're all fantastic players. Yeah. They have right? a solid roster. They have seven guys who... Some of them, at, at points in their career, have been all NBA. Uh-huh. Like... Six of the seven. Trevor Ariza was never all NBA, but the other ones. But Ariza has a fantastic reputation. He does. They're all very far removed from those years, though. But, yeah. You know, with the exception of maybe Westbrook and Davis. And, and LeBron. I mean, LeBron is all NBA because he decides he wants to be that year and he's going to put in the effort. But... Year 19. I'm still the best player in the NBA. What? Because <laughs> I can because that's what Infinity Ultron looks like. Um, in case you're wondering, friends. But the question is, when you get a name, I mean, how many times do, do we see in sports someone pays for a name and what uh -huh. they get isn't worth the product on, on the field, on the courts, mm -hmm. on the diamond, in the pool, wherever. Right. Because... You are paying for an attraction. You are not paying for a production. Tim Tebow? I like Tim Tebow, <laughs> but no, he's not, he's not an NFL quarterback. Oh, we're going to bring him in. Oh, he's going to play baseball for us. Okay. He, he was okay at baseball. He was okay. He, was he like, wasn't going to be a was, pro, but he was okay. He was, uh, <laughs> he was a little bit... Worse than actually, he might have been just a little bit better than Jordan when Jordan played baseball. Yeah, I think he could have taken but, Jordan. But so baseball. here's here's and I want to I want to segue into this. So the Lakers' current roster, right? And and what's great is so much of that narrative is fueled by three things: one, people who know basketball, in my opinion; two, people who hate LeBron; right, and then uh, three, um, people who just like kind of pay attention but don't. 
right? These are the three different groups that you see here. So number one, um, people who hate LeBron are going, how much help does he need? Uh, because they're seeing all these names and they're going, oh my gosh, they're, they're great and they're stacked and blah, 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 blah. Uh, fair, fine. Like you can, you can talk all you want about how deep and how good their team is. Uh, but you're never going to admit that like everybody passed up on these guys. None of these dudes were like dragged there in a hostage situation and were like, sign the paper. We're going to like people passed Mark on these Cuban players. Didn't, you know, show up at DeAndre Jordan's house. It, here's an indictment. And so I like Mark Cuban. And here's an indictment on Mark Cuban. It's like, how did Mar Mark Cuban not sign any of these guys with Luca? Like, how do you not get any of these players, right? And, and a lot of these, all, so many of these players are like vet minimums for a year. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not, they're not like long-term deals. And they're also players that turn down deals to play other places to come play at the Lakers. Um, so, so that's a thing. So then the second people, people like me, who I'd argue love LeBron, but also like I love the sport of basketball, right? I would go, okay, like, okay, we, they, we've got a stacked roster. We have a really, really good basketball team. Um, and then the, the, the people who, uh, so, so those are essentially those things. So here's uh, a caveat that I wanna bring to light. So if you don't watch basketball, it's fine. Bear with me. Last year, so the Lakers go into the bubble and they, they win the championship, and it was awesome. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, LeBron was great. The team was great. The bald eagle. <laughs> Caruso. Caruso. Like, I love, I miss him already. Uh, you know, the whole team, like, they just gel, and they mesh, and they, and they win, and it's, and it's wonderful, right? And they beat the Miami Heat, uh, who are arguably one of the most dangerous teams in the bubble because they got super hot, and it's gym basketball, so young kids shooting threes is like... It's no crowd, like it's all the things. Um, my playing days. So then they go into the off season, and it's the shortest off season ever. Uh, and they upgrade every position. Y'all can't see this. I'm doing bunny ears, and I'm like really excited because they get Montrez Harrell, and like there was problems with the Clippers, and I don't like the Clippers for a multitude of reasons, namely Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Um, don't not enjoy those guys. Uh, but I'm like, okay, Trez was like number two in six man of the year voting. He's a monster. He's got a ton of energy. He's going to be fantastic. Okay. Then uh, Howard leaves for whatever reason, which was super weird. We're not going to get into that. We get Marcus all. I'm like, awesome. We get a big who can pass really well and can play the five and has good footwork. And even though he's old, he's still got stuff in the tank. Great. Then we get Dennis Schroeder, who was like the six man of the year. And he was fantastic. Right. And I was like, dude. You're going to take him. He's, a, he's not as smart as Rondo, but he's got that intensity. He wants to win and great. And I'm going into the season with the names mm -hmm. and going, we're going to be awesome. And to be fair, there were so many injury problems that I don't even think they ever got to mesh and gel. Oh, then they got Andre Drummond too. Dr Drummond showed up and I was like, dude, 10 and 10. This dude's like a monster in the middle. We're going to control the glass. He doesn't have to score. He's just going to play defense and board awesome right and they're not good no they were not they look like a shell of what they were the year before and i get it there's fatigue and they were tired and there were some injuries but like all of these guys we brought in now to be fair to trez we didn't play him but schroeder was not good no he was he was he was a bad and he got sick time. but like he 
there was all the stuff with his contract, and then he drops like zero points in a playoff game. Ugh, you can't do that. Um, uh, Marcus Saul doesn't look as good. I mean, he has some moments where he was really good, but I don't think he was a good fit for how Vogel was trying to use him. Um, but so all these different pieces, they just they don't. In theory, they were going to work, but there's there's just a cultural issue. And I love Trez, but Trez was never going to be able to be that guy that just went in for the amount of minutes he needed to be there for the team and then ball out and then sit. Um, and so when we get caught up in names, or we go, oh my gosh, these guys are so great. Now I look at this Lakers team this year. People are like, well, Kelly, like Russell Westbrook can't shoot. I mean, shoots better than we do. Uh, and he doesn't, he doesn't shoot great from three, but like, he's a workhorse. He doesn't miss time. He's high energy. I'm like, okay, cool. LeBron doesn't have to play on the ball. Yeah. AD and LeBron can like get rest now because there's a guy who's going to play at that level. And then like, oh my gosh, Carmelo Anthony was fantastic for Portland last year. Dwight Howard was great the last stint he played, and he was fantastic with Philly. Rondo is the smartest player in the league next to LeBron and, like, was great even with the Clippers. He had immense postseason success. Trevor Ariza is a matchup nightmare and could just play these. And all these other guys on the roster we're talking about, and I went, these guys are culture fits, culture ads. They're, they're bought into winning and doing what the team needs them to do to win. Rondo and Westbrook were talking next to each other about how much they hate each other in practice because they're just motivating each other to be better and they're jawing and they're talking smack and they're just like going at it. I'm like, the energy from these guys going into the season is, is 180 degree difference than it was last year. And I'm like, okay, these guys want to ball out. Um, so chemistry fits and can they buy in and fulfill their roles yes well and I, that's always the question for teams um you know i think back to when golden state had their super team <laughs> you mean before or after the, but the their, their first super team <laughs> you know people forget they set the record for wins in a season uh-huh. and decided to blow that up well, their bench was ridiculous. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. They had players on the bench who were starters elsewhere. Maybe all-stars. Maybe all-stars elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, they were really f- absolutely fantastic. Right. Um, <laughs> then they signed Durant. I was so, and, I was so mad. <laughs> right? They What's happening to this sport I love? <laughs> they, 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 they take this historically great team, and they're like, well, it wasn't good enough. And so they blow it up, and they bring in Kevin Durant. And look, they won two championships out of it. It's not like... And it was like they failed. Nah, I mean... Yeah, they, yes, they did, but... I mean, you know, Steph Curry is crying himself to sleep tonight on piles and piles of cash from it. But... But it wasn't a fit. But there were problems, right? Yeah, it, there was, it wasn't, it wasn't a, fit. a fit. It didn't... The pieces didn't fit together. Sports where we see this more frequently are sports like baseball and football where one player cannot make as big an impact on the field as they can make in the locker room. 
And when there are not fits in those sports, it's usually a problem in the locker room, which destabilizes the whole team. Uh huh. And, you know, I think that's for, for all the, 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 the flack I give Tom Brady, that's one of the things that he did incredibly well in transitioning from New England to Tampa Bay was he, he became a, a you, Kelly likes the word culture ad that they add to the culture. And he, he, he added a different layer of culture in Tampa Bay that really, I think, propelled them to win. Yeah, there's a, there's a difference, right, between coming in and being like, hey, guys, we're going to try this, as opposed to being a guy that's got more rings than everybody in that room combined and goes, this is what we're going to do. Like, one of my favorite stories about Brady was an expletive-filled rant he had on a receiver in New England who was complaining, I think, to the press or somebody in the locker room. Brady just overheard it, and they had won. But he was just whining about his receptions. And Brady, like, literally got in his face and was like, we don't do that here. We win. And, and it's like, whoa. Like, and, and we can talk about appropriate and blah, 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 blah. But... um. You know, we talk about the Warriors and, and, and the thing about basketball is so unique too, right? Is it's such a chemistry game because of how much you have to share the basketball, mm-hmm. right? Like you have to be able to pass. You got to be able to trust people. In to- today's NBA, because you have to share the basketball, that was not the case when I was watching the NBA and it was isolation ball. Right. Unless it was the Lakers in, in Boston. Uh, but um, looking at you, Mike um, and, and Kobe, uh, but um you look at the Nets this year, right? They have, on paper, those three guys playing together should beat everybody. And it shouldn't be close. I mean, having Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden on the same side of the ball, each one of those dudes can go for 30 a night on high-percentage shooting, right? So, like, it, it's not even like they're high-volume shooters and they miss a lot. They shoot high-percentage. So, like, you're like, hey— um, and now you have an organization that's being held hostage because of the relationship between Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. So they can't like do the business thing where like, Kyrie, if you won't do X, Y, Z to be available to the team, we're letting you go so that we can fill it with another spot. Then that's going to create problems with Durant. And if you create like, then the whole thing is a mess. Um, but they have all these names and they have all these names and they brought it all together. And then they fell short last year. They lost to a team that had a better culture. Mm-hmm. That had a better team dynamic, which was the, the underdog, the the ultimate the un- underdog, the, uh, the ultimate underdog, right? Like like the, to the Bucks, um, and you know it's uh, that's that's always a thing of like, and to quote me, right? It's the culture ad. Do you what you in your natural state? Do you add to the culture here in a significant way or do you subtract from the culture here? Right. And every team, anybody who's ever played a team sport or been married <laughs> or have relationships with friends knows that you have to make sacrifices. Did not realize that team sports and marriage <laughs> were equivalents. In essence, this is, hey, pro tip here, real quick. Consider marriage a team sport you're on a team with another person and you all have the same goal and you're both going to have to make sacrifices to get to said goal it's not 
It's not wages and work. Because if you start keeping score, you start only being worried about yourself, you get really bitter, real resentful, and you start to have serious issues real quick. Look at you, Kevin Durant, on the Warriors. I mean, like... That's true. Right? Like, as soon as it becomes about... Right? It's, it's you're a team. One of the guys on the team might have a better night and has the hot hand, so you feed the hot hand. And then another night, that guy might be ice cold, so, like, somebody else has got to hold the scoring load, so you feed the other hot hand. Like, you're a team. You work together towards the same thing, not your own selfish ambition. So That's how we get through. Right. Yeah. Right on. Well, and I think, you know, that for me is a difference between, you know, what we call super teams and super quality. You know, people don't consider the Milwaukee Bucks to be a super team because they don't look at Drew Holiday the same way that they look at a name like Kyrie Irving. Who well, I'd take Drew Holiday over Kyrie Irving every day of the week. Same. I would take Chris Middleton over James Harden. Me too. You know, um, now... Most people would take Giannis over Kevin Durant. Yeah? I feel. Yeah, you think so? Better defender, better rebounder, significantly better athlete. More durable. More durable. It's also like, that's so hard too to compare, right? Because Durant's what, 34? Yeah. Giannis is 28. Something like that. Yeah, right. You're, you're still like, that's, that's splitting hairs. But yeah, super teams versus super quality, right? Like for yeah. sure. For sure. And so one of the things that Kelly and I have talked about as a, how does this, how does all this conversation relate to faith? Because this is supposed to be a podcast about <laughs> the intersection of. Let me gush about LeBron, man. Let me do it. <laughs> so we're talking about idols today now, friends. <laughs> Congratulations. Notice me, senpai. <laughs> <laughs> Notice me, I, senpai. I nice. broke Adam. I broke Adam. I'm He's done. <laughs> but one of the, the, the narratives that used to get spun in churches was that success was about having more names and that quote, celebrity name pastors were really much better than everyday average pastors. And this idea that the goal was to develop mega teams and mega churches and to set models and, and cookie cutter programs that this is how you do it every single time. And what works in our context is going to work in yours. And you'll just pick it up and transplant it. And these things fundamentally we're discovering in 2021, the thing from 1964 doesn't work the same way anymore. And so I, I kind of did a little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, research. Congratulate me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so most the the idea of a mega church really uh, started actually back in the 1800s uh, with Charles Spurgeon in 1861 in London. He started this church that was like 6,000. He, he built a 6,000-seat auditorium called the <laughs> Metropolitan Tabernacle. Come listen to me talk. 
Oh, sorry. Did right? I say that out loud? That, but, and, and, and that became the focal point for mega churches as they grew, and they really grew um, kind of from the 1960s up through the 1980s and the 90s was when they, they really started to expand rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they def- so it's defined as a church that has more than 2,000 people in average worship attendance. Uh-huh. That's a, a mega church. And it was, it was rooted around the cult-like personality of the lead or senior pastor. Mm-hmm. It was rooted around their dynamic style of preaching that drew crowds. Yep. When we talk about Christian faith, none of faith walk is about this attractional model of we bring in crowds and we get people excited and and this dynamic guy who wears skinny jeans and drinks lattes and makes references to TikTok is going to suddenly make all of our young people excited about not necessarily following Jesus, but being associated with somebody who looks like they're following Jesus. You just motioned to all of me. Thank you very much. No, you're not wearing skinny jeans. <laughs> that you know of. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> but what we're actually seeing in statistics today is that megachurch attendance, like most attendance in the United States, is on a significant decline. Um, and they've actually had to change um, the, the, the standard from, you know, it used to be, you know, under, you know, 2,000 or more in average, and now they're like, well, 1,800. And, like, we're, 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 we're shifting the, the standard so that, well, we'll still count as a mega church. And I think what we see is this difference between we're going to attract a lot of people and a lot of attention with all the names that we're currying. It's the, the, you know, we've created a super team versus the idea of what we are doing has a super impact because it's quality. What we are doing has a super impact because it is life-changing and culture-changing. And I feel like that's maybe the thing that we lose when we when we kind of follow the trend of um, having to have um, this celebrity type of atmosphere and status in the church. Jesus did not promote consumerism or business models or political planning. Now, Jesus challenged, like, the politics of his day, for sure, but Jesus wasn't yeah. a politician. Correct. Right? Um, and I think, again, like, my own biases, because I'm 35, right? And I attended a mega church, and I even worked in a mega church for a bit. Um, and this isn't, again, like, people who go to these things and participate in this stuff, like, I'm not, I'm not slamming you and telling you you're horrible, terrible people and that— God isn't there and God isn't doing cool stuff. Like, that's not what I'm getting at at all. But what I am saying is, you know, for me at least, systems that get put in place or, or guidelines come on the back end of pain and suffering and trial and tribulation. 
you learn what needs to be changed and what needs to be fixed on the back end of conflict that you've resolved. And if you just take what worked somewhere else, and even if you pretend like you've asked the questions of like, does this work in our context? Maybe instead of like going outside of a community and asking what worked in a different community and what we should do here, you need to ask the community you're in what they need and what they want and what God's trying to do in their lives. And then you build from that. Yeah. And it's, and it's again, like we could do, I could compare this current Laker roster to the heat. Right. Uh, if you talk to, to, and it worked out because Bosch learned quickly that like, okay, this is the role I have to play. And he said it was hard, but there was an understanding, but they struggled those three, right? The, the, what's the infamous thing with, with uh, Wade and Braun and on the banana boat where Wade's like, you have to lead it. I'll, I'll take a step back. Like you have to be the guy. And then they just killed people, right? But there was that adjustment period of like, oh, we can't just slap this together and it's gonna work. Then, then LeBron goes to the Lakers. First year, you know, he gets hurt and all this other stuff. But then they bring in Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis is not only the best player he's ever played with, they have, like, as a duo, they were, like, the most efficient duo of all time. Like, instantly, they were just tremendous because they complemented each other well, and they built a team around the, the, the defensive cultural identity. And then they went away from that last year. And they seemed to—so all these things, right? But when it comes to faith— and it comes to church stuff, it's almost like um, we're so obsessed or confident that we're right, that this has to be like it's been, um, that this idea that like, ah, maybe that doesn't work, or maybe parts of that might work, but parts of that really don't work. And this idea that you could hire a pastor from a different state to come in and go, oh, I can totally like turn this giant church around because we're going to build it around my personality. Like Jesus spent every waking minute of the day, like diverting power, equipping and sending, equipping and sending, equipping and sending, and like giving power away and giving power away and, and just telling them, go do the thing to the point where Jesus even says, Greater things than me you will do. And yet, for whatever reason, we build these giant institution structured, gigantic concert halls that are built around a specific person. Not even like, here's a, obviously you can tell I'm a little heated. To the point where it's a person at the top. And there's no accountability there. And then you build the thing around this brand so that, like, I can name a couple theologians and popular people that have recently passed where we didn't do the right thing because well, we can't hurt the brand. Like, that's so not okay. And then, and then churches go, well, why are people coming? And I'm like, well, <laughs> what do you think? And to clarify, you know, I think one of the things that we've done is when Jesus says greater things than I have done, you will do. He didn't say that in your own strength. Mm. And what we do is we go, yeah, because 
look, neither Kelly nor I are saying that you are going to go out there and be greater than Jesus. Please hear us. We are meant to do things in the will of and in the leading of and in submission to the Almighty One whom we serve. Like It is through the presence of, of the Holy Spirit in us that we're equipped to do the ministry that we are meant to do. Uh, and when we make things about us, and look, there are so many instances of the falls of megachurches because what they created was something that was about a guy and not the guy. And when you create something that ultimately is a reflection of your glory, what you get is less than what you had intended. Um, it's less than the sum of its parts rather than more than the sum of its parts. You, uh, for context purposes, so when Jesus says that, he's, number one, he's speaking rabbinically. This, is a, this would have been common vernacular. So for those of you who are listening who may not understand this, I want to give context to this. So Jesus, in, in Jesus' day, rabbis would take disciples, or Talmudim is what they were called, and would download what they thought to where their disciples would do exactly what they were doing. They would emulate the behavior, okay? Um, so when Jesus is saying this to them, he's essentially as their teacher, as their rabbi saying, what I have taught you is what you are going to go do, and, and it will go further than this. Hence the Great Commission. So when we say greater, like we can, we can split hairs on that. It, it didn't mean better than Jesus. It just meant like he was empowering them to go do the work that God had called them to do. Now, number two, um, Jesus, right, equipped and empowered people to go be who God created them to be in the family and be themselves. One of the most arrogant things we've done in American Christianity, and I heard this, I heard this at a youth camp one time, it makes my blood boil. I was talking about making disciples. And you know what he said? He said, I'm just trying to make little me's. I remember sitting mm. in that room and go, no, 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 no. No, you are don't. not Jesus. <laughs> no, what we are in the business of doing or what we are in the practice of doing or what we are in <clears throat> the movement of is creating other family members and inviting them into the house, not the church building, the family and in the familial context and not so that we can hide abuse, right? But in right. that familial context from a place of safety, security, and stability and love and encouragement and being able to be who you are and not rejected for who you are in the season of life you're in, from there you are uniquely gifted with gifts and graces and talents and a personality and, and things that God has called you to do that only you can accomplish in the, in the body. I can't do all the things, right? This is why Paul writes and says we're one body, many parts. No part of the body is more important than the other. And yet for some reason, we're going hard today, man. For yeah. some reason, in our own, I'll just say it, in our own arrogance, 
our own misleading, our own insecurity, whatever we want to call it. We have pandered this, this ideology, this theology that we can build things around people. It's not unlike the Jewish people with King David, where God's like, you don't need a king. And they're like, give us a king. Mm. God's like, you don't need a king. They're like, give us a king. You don't need a king. Give us a king. Fine. <laughs> Have a king. It's going to go horribly. It's not going to work. And it doesn't. No. This is almost like, y'all, if you go out and you talk to your non-Christian friends, I hope you have some, and you ask them what they think of Christians, what their experience with Christianity has been, more often than not, what you'll hear is really mean, super judgmental, kind of weird, um, no accountability. Like, why do we have all these pastors who have jets? <laughs> well, and all the thing. I mean, look, there is podcast after podcast after podcast <laughs> about the, the, there's one, the fall of Mars Hill that Christianity Today is doing that are investigating all the things. I mean, the new report um, came out recently about how the, the Catholic Church in France is now opening up about its pattern and history of abuse, like 300,000 children. Yeah, blow it up. Like, we're done. We're done. You know, but, but like we, we were, don't care. There's, there, there, nothing justifies that. We don't get to... Our drive to gain more always twists into a selfish, self-interested endeavor that leads us away from the very movement we were intended to be part of. On that note, I think, so to, to, so to take us a positive direction, like a little bit more <laughs> positivity and, and encouragement. Um, that got dark quick. Is you were not created to relinquish power. Now, what I mean by that is not my rights. Shut up. <laughs> no. <laughs> what I mean by relinquishing power in the sense of God created you uniquely, intentionally, with gifts and graces that are unique to your person that you were then to you use in the power of God via the Holy Spirit and your identity and your worth and your value to serve and love yourself and other people. To serve, not control, not manipulate, not take advantage of, not to build your own earthly thing, but in that power to do the things that God has called you to do. I cannot tell you how many times in my Christian life and the work I do, and it breaks my heart every time People go, well, Kelly, I'm not like you. And I'm like, wrong. I am not more significant, more powerful. I don't matter more to the kingdom and its purposes. And it's building up and building out because of a title or because of like my like position. That's not what this is. And yet like, so, so hear this with all love and all encouragement. I hope it's a little fire under your butt, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Is that. 
the context and how you live out your faith is one of power and authority that God has given you to live that out communally. Adam and I are doing this together. Adam doesn't answer to me and I don't answer to Adam like, oh, Adam, boss, man. Like, please don't destroy me. Not that I'm opposed to that. (laughs) Right? Because if Jesus is model, again, when he says like, greater things than these you will do, this is a summation of of the years that he spent with them where he did things like he washed their feet. He told them that they couldn't go where he was going. It was healing the sick and taking care of the lame and doing miracles and going out of his way to the people that nobody would come in contact with or go out of their way to help and do that. And Jesus goes, go do this thing. Did Jesus say, build a building? Did Jesus say, build a build a rock concert i by the way love love the music and i'm all about that experience i love those things but we don't submit to some guy on a stage that you've never met before y'all really controversial take and then i'll shut up for a sec that's not a pastor you cannot pastor people if there's two thousand people there that you don't know True. That's a celebrity. Sometimes a motivational speaker. It's a king. Mm. We submit to the authority and the rule of somebody we don't know because we're too afraid or we have not been discipled ourselves how to do what God has asked us to do. Jesus deferred and gave power away i would say rather that jesus showed us how to use power Mm. like my example comes in the last supper where jesus is with his disciples and one of the the most powerful sentences in the gospels to me is where the gospel writer of john says and jesus knowing that the father had given all things into Mm. his hands and put all authority and power under him took off his outer cloak, put a towel, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed his disciples' feet. Like, what I, what I see in Jesus is he showed us how true power behaves. That, there it is. There it is. It's, um, what do we say? We say, garden the garden. We say the restoration, the healing of all things. Jesus was restoring things to their original purpose and intent. Yes. We were not, we were not some weak, pitiful things like we were created with power and awe and authority on God's behalf, not to control and to manipulate and to take people's money. To steward. To steward and to serve. Yeah. Good king, a good ruler serves, not manipulates and controls. So before I keep beating horse, dead horse with a stick. Mm-hmm. Right? Closing thought. My hope is that today as we've like, I've yelled a lot. Um, <laughs> so, but, yelling. <laughs> so much yelling. Uh, and and I'll, I'll loop it back to Bron. One of the things I love about teams that LeBron James has historically been on is LeBron tries to get, as the leader of that team, tries to get ev- the best from everybody. 
LeBron's got to do his thing, right? But it's on, it's in the context of the team doing what the team does best as a team, right? You are on a team. You are just as important to the team as the person you think that is better, more equipped, knows how to read or pray or do all these other things better than you. You're just as important and you are just as useful and you are just like, I'm not better than anybody, right? Like I'm not, I'm not more important than anybody, but I do have a unique purpose in that. Okay, God, what would you have me do? And who would you have me do it with? Um, so I hope for those of you listening that like this encourages you not only to perceive yourself that way and work through that with God, number one. Number two, find a community of people. I didn't say a church building, but find a community of people that you can chew on this with. Um, and then, and then go, go crazy. Like the world needs it. Let's get busy. We don't mean dangerous crazy. Oh no, no. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Cospel's dangerous, my guy. <laughs> there are different kinds of dangerous crazy, my guy. <laughs> Kelly's caffeinated. <laughs> yes, and what I will say is throw big bags of money at us if you're crazy, because you may as well, because you're not going to be needing it when you're in jail. Anyway, <laughs> I think for me... We are called to to a life that is more than the sum of our parts. Maybe not be parting being a part of super teams, but but being part of a super quality life. And that doesn't mean that everything goes well. That that doesn't mean that, you know, the 20 guys on the roster are all getting the same thing, all getting the same time, the same point share, the same money share. I think that we're called to, all of us have gifts, and we're called to use those gifts. And I also want to know, you know, at what point during the season do, do the Lakers extend a contract out to Kelly? Because... <laughs> Be the motivated motivational speaker right listen to the white boy <laughs> this he, is kelly and this is adam and as our favorite coach norman dale will say at the end of the game in my book we're gonna be winners <laughs>